Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. In world news, revolution rages in South America as rebel forces attack the city. Early reports have named the chief minister of information and popular TV news weatherman, Escobar, among the casualties. Government officials say Escobar was assassinated in his green room ahead of the evening's newscast. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And joining us, the co-host of King Size, Simon Bulkin. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so nice to have you after uh, you had us over on King Size for Survivor Type. It's finally, it's nice that we finally got time to get back together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Long overdue, but we got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are covering the story in the death room from Everything's Eventual with CM leading our discussion. CM, Take it away. Thanks, Josh. Simon, before we dive into In the Death Room, I'd like our listeners, if they haven't heard your podcast, to get to know you a little better. And I have two extremely important questions for you. If you don't answer these to our satisfaction, very, very subjective criteria (laughs) here, we might have to put you in the death room. Oh. So now you know the stakes. (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, there are fun questions, I promise. So can you tell us what your introduction to Stephen King was? My introduction to Stephen King was reading Skeleton Crew. When I was about 13 or 14, I think, some friends of mine at school had um, been very proudly uh, showing off their copies of It, and they were they were well <laughs> into, into that. It just looked like too long and heavier novel for me. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit lazy in those days when it came to, to reading, and it wasn't just the content that terrified me, it was the size of the book. I thought, there's got to be an easier way in than this. I know, he does short stories, and somebody else rec- recommended Skeleton Crew, so uh, the first story of his I ever read was The Mist. Oh, Ooh, so good. Yes. Yeah. Great, great way in, I thought. Yeah, it is. I love that this was almost like a rite of passage for you guys, like you're bragging about Stephen King books you're reading. That's cool. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> that's the way it should be. And you did finally get around to it. Oh, so yes. that, I mean, you know, yes. that's great. You made it there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Doing good so far. Next question. Do you have a Stephen King moment from any of his work? Could be a book, short story, or adaptation. Well, the first time I read it, I finally got round to it in what must have been my late 20s. And I was doing a sort of residential week looking after um, or helping to look after and run um, a Buddhist centre just outside of London. And you stayed there for the for the whole week. There was a group of seven of you just sort of helped out running the place. And uh, you shared a room. And on the first night, it became quite apparent that my roommate could snore for England. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not getting any sleep. So the next the next morning, I said to um, one of the people that sort of run the run the place full time, "Look, I need my own. I'm going to need my own space." And he put me in this flat, this sort of downstairs flat, which, which was just me. And as I say, I was I was I was reading it, uh, and I had a bit of a read the next night before I hit the hay, and oh, I, I I'm not exactly proud. To, to admit this, but I was scared to turn the lights off. <laughs> awesome. That's terrific. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, a man in his late 20s, early 30s, and uh, I should be able to, but I couldn't. I just, it was a Pennywise section. In fairness, it was a Pennywise section. Yeah. And I just, I could not sleep with the lights <laughs> off that night. And I think that's one of the most, uh, one of the earliest as well, I think, sort of moments that made me sort of go, my God, this writing can really do something. If it can make, make me that flipping scared at the <laughs> tender age of I don't know 28 or whatever <laughs> then there's uh, there's something in this that, that's powerful writing and it's not always mm. um and writing can't always do that to me yeah that's so great the the mix of that horror with also that uncertainty of you know sleeping in an unfamiliar place it creates that mm. perfect storm for nightmares <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
It didn't help. You're right. It was an unfamiliar place. Oh, and I was sleeping down there on my own. Yeah. And was like, you know, be careful what you wish for. I suddenly got my own space. And you know what? I think I'll take the snoring. Yeah, that would probably be better. Your vulnerability has touched us. Josh is putting the cloth back over the device. I guess you're that guy. Yep. I'm unlocking the door. I guess I'm that guy. And you're safe. <laughs> Thank you. Can I have a cigarette now? <laughs> yes, yes. Just don't put it out in my eye. <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd rather put it out in my eye. <laughs> Are you guys ready for In the Death Room? I'm so excited to talk about In the Death Room. This story starts with our main character, Fletcher, a New York Times reporter, having been captured by a South American dictator slash weatherman and his crew full stop before we go any further oh gosh am i the only one who laughed out loud no at the announcement that this dictator is the weatherman that killed me it's in no i don't think you are it's so funny i love it so he is going to be interrogated about his support of an insurgency and in the very first paragraph we get a simple yet very upsetting description of what this room looks like, telling us everything we need to know about the hopelessness of Fletcher's situation. Would one of you like to paint our listeners a word picture about what this room is? Sure. It is fairly sterile. It is, uh, to what Fletcher believes almost immediately, soundproofed. And it is him with a chair in the room, a trolley with a drape over it, and a table with three people sitting on one side and the armed guard behind him. It is very bleak from the start. Mm. Yeah, he describes the the walls are like this gray sort of bland looking tile with really dark stains on them. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. like the maroon patches that the, he mm. sees around. I forgot about that entirely. It's so gross. Yeah. Everything's gray yeah. and bloody. <laughs> cages, cages, lights with cages over them. Just not a place that you would want to be. So he has been kidnapped and he has had his ass kicked, but he's aware of his surroundings, although he's going to play it more dazed and disoriented than he actually is. And he is immediately doing things to increase his chances of survival, all the while thinking about how there's no possible way that he's going to be able to get out of this situation. I really like that Fletcher, from the very beginning, you get this idea that he's smart enough to keep the show going on because he keeps saying like i am freaking out but i'm not freaking out as much as i'm throwing my body around i want them to think i'm full-blown panic can't think straight and just that little bit tells you so much about who fletcher is like the mm. resiliency of him i guess yeah yeah i, th I thought that he was he, he didn't did much better than I would in that situation <laughs> same <laughs> yeah to be able to keep his his wits about him, as you say, and, and, and to sort of start to put on this performance, which he hopes like hell is going to going to fool them. And he's quite worried that it, it, it doesn't fool the woman in the room. Mm. Yeah. Okay, guys, I, I'm going to completely derail us for a minute. <laughs> I, I have to go off on, on this side tangent. I hope you'll both join me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. It's really hard not to talk about every single thought that Fletcher has because the story is full of juxtaposition. Throughout it, he's thinking about, you no, know, on one hand, how hopeless this is, but everything he does then to increase his chances of escape. And he's this reporter who'd never hurt or kill anyone. And he knows that if he does leave, it'll be because the four other people in this room are dead. And the whole cigarette thing later, which we'll get to talk about, but the dichotomy of him telling himself it's hopeless. You know, he's dead in his actions to escape, also reflecting his captors' promises that they're going to let him go if he cooperates, yet they're in the death room, which is not being referred to as the recovery room. <laughs> <laughs> which, and I know I'm I'm not saying anything profound. I'm basically like, hey, guys, guess what? Stephen King writes good. <laughs> it's these literary elements stand out to me in, in this short story specifically in a way that, you know, I know he does this in most of his other work, but it really makes the story much more interesting to me and clips along at a really good pace for something that I personally would not be drawn to this type of story. 
You're not an, an, an interrogation kind of person. I know. I want like sci-fi and horror. Fair. This is yeah. just too, you know, too straightforward. Too straightforward. Yeah. yeah. It, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit later, but at one point Fletcher talks about uh, the, the personalities he discovers inside himself. What, what is it? Mr. Mr. Maybe they will. And mm-hmm. Mr. Even if I do. And maybe I can. There's and like, may- he yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can shows up later. <laughs> But those, mm-hmm. but that you're you're exactly right. The juxtaposition between kind of which one of those personalities is taking over at the time is either hopeful or I have to kill everyone in this room. Yeah, somebody's somebody's being carried out of here. One <laughs> or the people. So Simon, you've you'd read this before, or was this your first time? No, no, no. This okay. uh, I had read this before, but um, years ago. Okay. So the recent reread was. Um, Oh, there were yeah, quite some years in between the two. So this is my first time reading it. I'd, I've Ooh. seen two different Dollar Baby adaptations of it, but this is my first time reading it. And CM, is this your first time reading it, or had you? Read yes, it? okay, my first time. What did you guys think the end of this? The outcome was going to be when he comes into this room. Did you think this story ends with him getting out or him never leaving? Yeah, not a chance. I didn't think he was he was getting out at all. It was quite a quite a surprising ending really mm-hmm. given how everything yeah, everything that come before it and how you know how 1984 it feels yeah mm-hmm. that's exactly um, the vibe it's it's well king says at the end it's kafka-esque mm-hmm. which i have a question for you guys specifically about the end at, at the end <laughs> <laughs> good place for that question I'd say, yeah i'm saying why not throw it in now but you want to keep the ending for the ending yeah i yeah. I get off the yeah. rails, but I try not to get that off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so reflecting kind of what we were just talking about with sort of the dichotomy of the story, and I mm-hmm. promise I will try really hard not to continue to point out every instance of this, every <laughs> other line. But the guard, he plops Fletcher down in the chair in front of the table. And since he's playing into being hurt, he he nearly falls. And the man that we come to know very shortly as Escobar is like, careful, that's not how we do things in the recovery room. And okay, I know I said I'd stop, but I, I apparently lied instantly. Throughout his interrogation, Fletcher thinks about his sister, which we can describe more fully as we get there. But it's, again, this imagery surrounding his sister is either kind of it's more serene or happy which his situation obviously isn't Mm. but we'll eventually discover neither is hers but until you come to understand at the end what ultimately got him where he's at you could easily interpret these few moments as his attempts to focus himself with thoughts of happier times or center himself and it's i just it's it's just crazy i love like all the ways our expectations are played with from the instant he gets in this room what did, what did you guys, did you have any sense or impression of what these moments with his sister were? Well, I, it helped me get a better sense of what Fletcher's stake is in this. Because at the beginning of the story, when he's in this room, you know he's a journalist. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously got himself in, in, into trouble in this South American country. But to begin with, I thought, oh, that's just awfully bad luck. He just I think he was just in the wrong place at the, at the wrong right. time, and he was trying to get a good story. Um, <laughs> and he wanted to obviously tell it from the point of view of the the revolutionaries. And so he probably thought he was doing the, the right thing, and I think he probably does. But it's, it's only when you get those um, nuggets of information about his sister that I started to feel that there was something more, more personal driving this along for him. What about you, Josh? Did you pick up on that? I did not at first. I I did think that it was just the escapism Mm -hmm. because it's just, he's he's imagining his sister in this unnamed stream in this idyllic area of uh, South America. And it just, it's so different from the situation he's Mm -hmm. in. So I thought about like that escape. And then, yeah, as it goes on and we get almost, it's not quite unreliable narrator, but it's a little bit because at the beginning, like you said, it starts out with being like, yeah, I'm a journalist. And he is. But we find out later he hasn't been for a, yeah. like a year now. <laughs> like, so it's just it's crazy the way the layers of when the story starts, it is a journalist being held hostage by a hostile government. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes, you start being like, oh, he's so much more involved than I thought he was. Way more <laughs> No wonder yeah. they like, at first it's like, why would they grab him? And then it's like, oh, duh, that's mm-hmm. why they got him. 
Yeah, and I saw the Dollar Babies first, and in the visual format, they structure the story a little bit differently. And they're so well done; they they're are both amazing. But I, I was reflecting like, would I have fallen for this? And I, I can't say, but I feel like I, I would have. I would have just thought that and not really read anything into it. And I think I would have been surprised when the reveal happened. So Simon, you uh, point to Simon for (laughs) picking up on something interesting beyond what we're given happening with why he's here and what he's doing. And since we are like literally a page into the story (laughs) at this point, you guys, please save me from myself and tell us about the other people in the room. Describe Fletcher's three other companions. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Well, he does a, a great job of painting the the woman in the room. Mm-hmm. I, that, I mean, that's a very good shorthand for her. The, you know, Elsa Lanchester, the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, not just Elsa, not just Elsa Lanchester, because it, it took me decades for the, this penny to drop. But um, Elsa Lanchester, who played the bride of Frankenstein, also plays the nanny who walks out at the beginning of Mary Poppins. Are you serious? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> As Mrs. That's Banks is coming home, the nanny uh, of that week or whatever is, is had enough and she's walking out the door. <laughs> and that's Elsa Lanchester. That's amazing. <laughs> Now I'm just seeing that woman as the woman in the room <laughs> in her nanny garb. Well, she does try to walk out of the room later. She sure does. She sure gives it a shot. I, the woman was definitely an interesting thing for me because I expected everybody else gets a name. She's the mm. only one who never gets a name. Because yeah, we I didn't ha- even notice that. Yeah, because I, I I made the space in my notes because there's the woman in the room who's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they said she looks like she's in her 60s. Mm, older woman. An older woman. And then mm. there's Heinz, who is a tall, thin man, and Ramon, who's the the guard. Mm. Uh, Heinz and is then, the doctor. Or Heinz is the doctor. Well, we don't know he's mm. the doctor yet, <laughs> but he yeah he's the, he's the, uh, the the torturer and uh, and Escobar. Mm-hmm. But I was constantly waiting. I had like an open space in my notes <laughs> to write down the woman's name when we got it, and I I wasn't until after that mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we never find out who this woman is, what power she actually holds, like. Mm. The implications of the spoiler alert when she dies, I'm very curious the <laughs> ramifications for what she was in this government, in this structure, it, and we'll never get any of it. And I love it. Yeah, I was going to ask what you guys thought about his assessment of the Bride of Frankenstein, who in his mind, he he initially thought like she moves up the ladder from probably being Esco- Escobar's assistant to probably actually being the guy in charge. It's smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but as you said, as you said earlier, I mean, the fact that Escobar is also the weatherman yeah. doesn't really give him <laughs> as much gravitas. It does, as, yeah. As, <laughs> Minister as of Information is definitely the better title. <laughs> it undermines his weatherman. authority in a way because, to me, like the way he's described as just this jovial weatherman was endearing in a way. <laughs> I was like, I'd watch him talk about the weather. It's. It's definitely a setup for Escobar is the charm. Escobar's the face. Mm, Escobar yeah. is the person that this woman who's the power behind the throne wants his face in front of everything so mm-hmm. she can work in the shadows. Yeah. And it's never like none of this information is ever given to us. I just love that you get to piece mm-hmm. out this structure. You get to piece it along right with Fletcher as he figures out the relationship mm-hmm. with all these people. Mm. They're talking about whether or not they're going to handcuff him. And as this is happening, he's he's reflecting on who this woman is. And he has this image again of his sister. And he's focusing on these images of the bride and his sister and the light on the river. And he's thinking, I just want to throw this line out there because I thought it was really beautiful. He's thinking that he wants images, not ideas, because Images were luxury items and ideas were no good in a place like this. In a place like this, all you got were the wrong ideas. I fucking love it. <laughs> Such good writing. Jesus. And it's it goes with what he ends up like internally, this this division of all these different versions that he goes through, which I didn't realize at the time, but it's kind of like, what does that poetic line even mean? (laughs) Any thought that is not, from here on out, any thought that is not about my direct survival is a waste Mm -hmm. of my energy. And Mm -hmm. it really... Man, I know I've said I said it 
like three times already this episode, but it it defines Fletcher so clearly. Yeah, his drive, his his inner strength. You just get all that resolve from him so right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The second he sort of makes that decision mm-hmm. or, or identifies that, as you say, so I've got to focus on the on the task in hand because this is literally life or death. Mm-hmm. I either it, it's fight. Uh, fight or flight, and I'm not. I'm not going anywhere. So I might as well go down fighting, and I'm going to try and sort of see if I can give them a few lies and um, see if that will satisfy them. But of course, it doesn't. So <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to have to dig in quite, quite literally. And he's he's put in like such a difficult position because so Escobar's like, we don't need handcuffs. You know, our friend here is going to be leaving soon. He's going to go back to America. He's our guest, not our prisoner. In fact, hey. Fletcher, would you like a cigarette? <laughs> Which I love what he does with the cigarette because you don't know either at first. He's, I mean, he gives you a clue, but do you guys want to talk about the cigarette thing? What about it exactly? Like the, that it's the uh, the cigarettes are Chekhov's gun. He's yeah, he's already bit. like thinking ahead about he's he reaches for it. Oh yeah, just so they can see his hand shaking. To kind of play into that, yeah. I'm I'm less okay than I appear. And he's thinking about like, oh man, I stopped smoking several years ago, but you know, if I do make it out of this, which I won't because it's hopeless, but if I do, I'm going to buy a pack of cigarettes and <laughs> go to this, this place in New York and I'm going to get a pack and I'm going to start smoking again. And, and he declines the cigarette at that time and that's going to keep coming up. This reveal that, you know, the fingers shaking so they can see it, it's from that point on that we get, we've had these details of him exaggerating how he acts and shaking, showing his finger shake. And you're like, wow, he is kind of prepared for this. Mm-hmm. And then you get kind of this info dump that you find out he's been here for five years. Uh, he's been yeah. living in this country for five years. And then that's when it drops the, he stopped being a reporter 16 months ago. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dude, what is what your life? happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> also, I love that. I mean, this is very probably American of me, but or maybe knowing the opinion of Americans in other countries. But the idea that they speak Spanish in front of him and he's lived there for five years. I'm like, you really think he hasn't picked up enough or is this very intentional? You want him to hear what you say. See, I I think everything they did, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I think everything they did was completely intentional because mm-hmm. there's a part like we talked about Escobar, Escobar not being as intimidating as maybe he wants to come off as. But there's a part here that did make me terrified of him. And it's when he's he's not quite apologizing to Fletcher for the treatment that he's received. And he's like, you know, the guys that beat you up, they're not in trouble exactly, but they've They've been mildly reprimanded because they didn't do anything wrong after all. They were just doing their jobs, which is like I became very afraid of this guy at that moment because I'm not even I'm not sure what the word that I'm looking for is. It's it's more sophisticated than manipulative, I think, It, but it illustrates what his leadership is like. If he can excuse any bad behavior in that way because it's in the name of, you know, quote, service, that's extremely scary because a person like that can justify every action they take in a way that you can't argue with that kind of absurd logic. So like, I guess he's just a politician, but (laughs) that's that's not at all unusual for politicians. (laughs) I think. (laughs) So Escobar and his guard, Josh, as you were saying, they kind of put on this, what I thought was a show for Fletcher with this conversation in Spanish that he obviously understands, although he doesn't quite pick up all the words. He picks up the gist of it about how his stuff is packed and ready. And there's a car and his passport and everything's going to be fine. And, Bride of Frankenstein explains that you're not going to be killed or harmed. You are going to answer some questions. And then, you know, you you sided with the wrong folks. So we got to kick you out of the country. So sorry. But that's as bad as it's going to get. And that's kind of when we get more of that information about him not being a reporter for the last 16 months, basically when he first met Nunez. Mm. So now the questions come. Let's talk about the information he provides, that where he lies. And that's that's when these two versions of himself, as he's grappling with all of this, you know, Escobar begins interrogating him and promising him that the truth is going to set him free. It's man, it's tense <laughs> because we don't get a ton about this revolution because mm-hmm. Fletcher is staying very tight lipped and he's really going to be our main resource. 
Mm. And he knows that the information he has is the only thing keeping him alive right now. So we find out that Fletcher has been an informant to Thomas Herrera, who was giving information to Nunez, Nunez being the leader of this revolution. And before they start asking him, is it before they start asking him that they show the picture? Yeah, because they they ask him how long he's been here doing Mm -hmm. this. And he tells the truth he actually says you know it's it's actually a little longer than you guys believe and they offer him a cigarette again and he says no and then they open a folder with a picture in it simon what did you think about what's in that folder well it's it explains how well not how he got there but it explains why he's there yeah because thomas is is dead and if they got the information they needed from him they wouldn't have needed to pick up fletcher Mm -hmm. so but it also raises the stakes a little bit more for Fletcher because now he knows that, that, that Thomas is dead. Doesn't he also know somehow that um, Thomas didn't live for very long during the interrogation? He died quite quickly? Yeah, because he there's a, a mark on his head. A burn on his temple. Yes. That yeah, there's he had no a seizure, blood. didn't he? Yeah, so they explain to him. That's when they reveal what's underneath the cloth on the table and they're explaining we we use this on him but we didn't really use it to to even have strength and you're not epileptic are you that shit <laughs> is insane the reveal of this electrocution torture device and it, what it's it's so weird it's it's so basic in my mind's eye it looks so weirdly frankenstein <laughs> but the important thing is that they're the main thing is the steel rod that this machine's plugged into that is where all the electric current comes through. And Heinz, the doctor, so proud and excited, so excited. to reveal this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is a real work of art for him. Yes. <laughs> He's explaining it's it's not that it's painful, but people find it extremely aversive. And it can go places... It can go anywhere. So then after this, it becomes the dildo, which I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) That's just what it was for you the rest of the time. No, he describes it as a dildo. That's not me. You don't put that on me. Does he actually say dildo? Is it? Oh, that's funny. Josh. (laughs) Nice try, Josh. Nice try. I was still maybe it's because I was still so horrified with the idea of it's not the pain. People are just have an aversion to the process. What That's, the fuck does yes. that mean? That's yeah. so scary. That is so yes. upsetting. Like it, I yeah, I can't even. <laughs> it's one of those things that's terrifyingly vague. The, when he yes. talks about it being able to be like put up your butt, and he says a man <laughs> whose shit has been electrified never forgets it, <laughs> and I clenched I real hard. Yeah. It's one of those things that, yeah, makes you sort of do exactly what you just said and cross your legs and sort of bring yourself in a bit sort of tight like this. A bit of a shudder there. And it's it's this combined with the so the torture device in the room, we have Tomas's photo of his corpse and Fletcher, that's the moment that it sinks in Fletcher's all alone. Mm-hmm. He knows the revolution's coming, but it's still maybe at minimum a, de- a full day away. And there's no <laughs> way he's staying here a full day. And I just love the way that uh, this whole moment now finally brings it to its a hundred percent on me. And this is why I I kept thinking that everything these individuals are doing was so intentional from the start because they give him this softball question like an easy one to just tell the truth on. And then they show him the picture. They show him the machine. Now that he knows the stakes, the real questions are coming. And he knows that these are the questions Thomas died for, the mm. questions that he wouldn't answer. And mm. he's offered another smoke and he says no. I'd also like to point out that not only does is Fletcher an informant with Tomas, but he mentions he has had cereal with his kids Ooh, watching cartoons. Yeah. He's had dinner oh, with yeah. their family. He is not just an informant. He is a close friend mm-hmm. to this person. You get that mm. connection. And he does not react. Yeah, he doesn't give him shit. No, but he does start answering questions. They ask about what Nunez's plans are for like, is he going to take the radio station or is he going to attack the city? Does he have rockets? Things like that. And it's very fun with the the Fletcher will answer and then his internal monologue is like, yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, the way it's Mm -hmm. written is cool. It's like he's going to go for the city first. 
oh, that's a lie. He's for sure going to go for the radio station. Like all this stuff that you get that internal, he's giving them something, but he's refusing to betray his allies. And that is a mistake. Yeah. And I, I love, <laughs> I love that he's like, cause they're like, oh, he's not going for the TV station or the radio station. And he's like, no, he said something like let them babble, which sounds yeah. like such a plausible thing Yeah, that is like, oh, he's going to get away with this lie. And, you know, said that they, they do not have rockets. He lied about that or they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where things take a turn because bride whispers and she does it in a way she doesn't even cover her mouth. She like does it without moving her mouth, which is terrifying too. But she mm-hmm. whispers something to Escobar and Fletcher knows that she knows he's lying. And this is where we really get that Mr. Maybe they will guy and the Mr. Even if I do guy. And then he invents the third guy, Mr. Maybe I can guy. And it's I I really like this bride character because he realizes that they've asked him things they already know the answer to as if they don't. So they, they basically given him enough rope to hang himself and he just fell right for it. Yeah. Mm. Can I take us through the shock? Yeah, what? Holy do fuck. It. <laughs> it's so awesome. Describe the experience while it's still fresh, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking got yes. me. That's good. That's We're really good. Buzzing, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So, he they give Heinz the go ahead to to give him the shock and Fletcher immediately is like, "I knew I wasn't getting out of here with at least one." So, here's the one mm. and he he fights it. And Ramon pulls his gun and shoves the barrel of the gun in his ear, mm. which is just <laughs> savage. And he holds him in place and Heinz takes the prod, turns it like a quarter of the way up and touches it to the back of his hand. And he describes it as though the shock runs through his teeth. Mm. He feels it in every part of the inside of him. And I love that immediately he's like, Pines is right. I do not want to do that again. He, he <laughs> it says, doesn't. It, the pain is already <laughs> fading. I do not want to go through that again. He says he'd consider shooting his own mother. Before. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Yes. Fucking <laughs> insane. And then Heinz, yeah. Describe the experience while it's fresh in your mind. He's so fucking excited. He's going to write a paper about it, you guys. He's got... Okay, I unfortunately I kind of relate to him here. <laughs> like, yeah, you'd you'd want to, you know, you you'd want to investigate this so that you can write a good paper about yeah. it. You He's, would. Well, I mean, if it was something, I wouldn't do something torture and without consent. I'm not condoning without it. Consent. I'm just saying I understand it. <laughs> Move on, guys. Guys, okay, <laughs> sorry. We got, a, we got a weird window into CM's um, hobbies. I, mean, I, I was worried you were going all Count Rugen, man. Or something, you know. I'm, I'm hoping to provide the definitive work on the subject one day. Sure you will, but I won't be helping you. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to recover from that. But he does tell Heinz, he's like, it feels like dying. And dude's so excited about that. And he's trying to, like have a full-on discussion with what he's going to do with this information and uh, Bride of Frankenstein shuts him down. And Escobar's like, oh man, you failed our test. You got to start telling the truth now because this we're going to keep doing this until you give us what, what we want. And then the questions get so specific. Oh yeah. That mean- it, the man, yeah, CM, you're 100% right. The It's very clear. They knew exactly what they were doing every step of the way here because Everything was so general. Everything is such a uh, false sense of security getting him to play along. And now, like, yeah, these questions are about specific locations of where he was last seen. Uh, The woman even asks, who is it that Nunez talks to when he comes to the Mm -hmm. city? And Fletcher's like, I can't I can't lie. There's there's literally no answer here because they've like they've already proven they know so Mm -hmm. much. They're like, it's such when that question comes out and he freezes for the first time. So scary, man. You think it's all over. And and that that question ends the interrogation before we talk about the amazing thing that he does next. I I wanted to talk about this and, and I skipped over it, unfortunately, but I thought it was so cool. So fascinating. He's. When they're telling him these lies, like bef- it's before the first shock, he wants 
he knows that he's going to want to believe them as things get worse and worse. Mm. Even though he knows better, even though he walks in there from the second he gets in that room, he doesn't walk in there, he gets drugged. <laughs> from the second mm-hmm. he enters that room, he knows it's bad. And he keeps telling himself, and that's why he comes up with these three different guys, keeps telling himself, like, you can't allow yourself to believe their lies. You are not getting out of this. They're not going to let you go no matter what you do. Simon, yeah, they've got nothing to lose. Remind me, when was the last time you were held hostage and interrogated? Uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Met- metaphorically speaking, last night. Uh, actually, I feel like so, me- metaphorically speaking, the start of this episode. <laughs> well, yes, actually, that's very true. What were we thinking? <laughs> like forty minutes about forty-five ago. minutes ago, this, <laughs> this one started. We treat our guests so well. We do. <laughs> I just, I- I'm curious. So this question before we get into the end Mm -hmm. i'm curious on both of your takes on where like where you thought if you if you can remember i guess in that first experience where you thought it was going from this kind of pivotal moment or like where this where this moment left you i guess because for me it was real high anxiety when Mm -hmm. he realizes that no safe answer part i still didn't see him getting out of it yeah i thought he would put up a good fight and i thought what might happen is that he would overcome everybody in the room, perhaps, and he'd get out the door and then he'd just be faced with a, a platoon of guards who would shoot him dead. dead <laughs> <in the story. laughs> that is a very plausible ending to the story. I thought the exact same thing. I agree mm, with Simon. That's yeah. what I thought was going to happen. And it's we have another juxtaposition here, guys, which really struck me because he knows now he has to act. He can't answer that question. He has to do something. And his heart is beating so slowly. And he's thinking about the last time he was in a very stressful situation. He was giving a speech and his heart was racing. And it's I, I don't know. So it's such a simple description, but something about it just, you know, it, it being so slow in this moment kind of freaked me out a little bit. Mm. It was a nice setup for yeah. what he's about to do, which let's talk about. He he starts to answer. He's like, oh, this guy. Actually, you know what? Can I have that cigarette now? Yeah. Mm. Simon, will you do the honors? Will you take us through this action scene once he has the cigarette? Well, if memory serves, he gets a, he gets a cigarette lit and then... It, he, I don't know if did he have a fight with Ramon first, Ramon, but it ends up in Ramon's eye, yeah, doesn't Ramon it? Ramon lights yeah. a cigarette and he shoves yeah, it in his it eye, jams it right into right into into Ramon's eye. And there's, if there's one detail about that incident that <laughs> um, I remember is that he he's trying he's trying to get it out, and all and all he does is like take the um, yeah! take the filter off, and it's still <laughs> stuck in his eye. That's such an upsetting detail. <laughs> Poor Ramon probably gets it the worst out of any death in the <laughs> No. I well, I feel like Heinz was probably okay. over pretty fast. When we get to Heinz, I have a I have the description, like <laughs> moment by moment. Yeah. So he he grabs Ramon's gun that as he's yes. flailing. Of course. So he needs the gun, doesn't he? Because he ends up mm-hmm. firing that empty. Yep. Doesn't doesn't he yeah. run out of bullets? He, well, yeah, he, he runs he runs out. But he yeah, yeah Ramon is flailing so he's not worried about him at the moment and he knows escobar's coming at him and he turns around and i love he kicks a chair into him yeah it fucking rules he kicks a chair into escobar's path and then shoots ramon in the top of the head or shoots uh he shoots escobar in the top of the head and the bullet comes out of his chin and i was like that fucking rules so hard oh and there's just that little detail about his hair sort of moving a little bit it's like a, it's it's a kill you'd see in John Wick. I feel like <laughs> yeah. it's so fucking cool. <laughs> and then Ramon is coming at him, and he fires one into his chest and then into his face, and that doesn't kill him. It, it, it's yeah. it's very gruesome, and <laughs> I love how comedic this moment gets. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. Ramon trips over Escobar's body and goes down, and he grabs. Fletcher's ankle and he like mm. you know kicks kicks his hand away and accidentally lets a round off into the ceiling as that's happening. <laughs> then he turns and loses a shoe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Don, oh well, right. if that's the worst thing that happened <laughs> to you this afternoon. Today. He's doing pretty good. <laughs> so he turns around and sees Bride at the door and uh he he makes his way over to her. 
Mm. Man, when she <laughs> when she starts just begging for her life at the door, and you see the how different she is here versus when she was in control. I guarantee this was a bit. Well, I guarantee. And how different he is yeah. too, because the first two people he killed, and he's never killed anyone too. We got to keep that in mind. True. Mm. That was survival. That was reactionary. It was fast. These next two are. Nothing but brutal revenge. You know what? I'm I'm gonna change what I just said. I don't think that she is acting because the the I wrote this line down. This is this description because I loved it. <laughs> that she's almost pushing herself through the door. That's how yeah. badly she wants to be out of this room. Mm-hmm. And that horror, I do not think, can be faked. I think he, yeah, she really sees it. And I love that part of all this is when he's. Is it around here where he's acknowledging, well, okay, this must be soundproof because I've fired off like four shots and no one's come running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So now he kind and of then, knows he has the time. Yeah, I love that detail of her, her herself trying to push herself into this door so hard that it would sort of absorb her. Mm-hmm. And then she's sort of like, you know, um, like the T-1000. Yeah. Just sort of <laughs> go through it and come out the other side. This is actually something I'm really excited to talk to you guys about. I want your takes on what he says right before uh, he ends up killing the woman because she is saying, you know, I'm your only hope. If you spare me, I'll give you a bunch of money. Oh, we'll the get thug out of here. Yeah. The... What it, I want your guys' take on thugs versus patriots. Mm. What did you guys I think thought, of that I thought description? That was a very clever point that Stephen King was making here. That you know, when the when the when the bottom line comes around, patriots make a speech and thugs just beg for their lives. Fucking beautiful. beautiful point, doesn't it? Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, Simon, we were talking about our, well, Josh and I were kind of surprised. I feel like you more saw what was coming. Do you want to describe what we find out about the sister and, and how you felt about that moment here? Well, when you, that's the sort of the last reveal of information, isn't it? You know, you had a sister, you know, she she died. I think he's mentioned before that she was a, she was a nun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hinted but at then. Yeah, but then when you then when you find found out that you know she was murdered quite quite brutally, and then to and this is a a horrible thing, uh, to, the body was desecrated essentially, yeah. beheaded. Yeah, and he says and put on a spike. He says, "Yeah, my sister was the one in the middle," and then shoots her. <laughs> yeah, so she it, it it doesn't it doesn't matter that Fletcher doesn't believe her. In that you know, you, oh, you can have all this mm-hmm. money. Oh, I can get you out. Oh, I can get a passport. It's com- it's complete bluster. But it doesn't it doesn't matter a damn thing because the reason he's been in this country for as long as he has and he's been helping this revolution is because of this personal stake that he's got. And once you once you read that, he is definitely definitely going to kill her. Yeah. It's so. I think for me, because I mentioned. I saw, well, Josh, you too. I saw the Dollar Baby films first. So Mm. reading this was not a surprise, the reveal with the sister. But I really do feel like, again, because you have to tell the story kind of slightly different when you are using a visual medium rather than text. And I feel like we, we get a little more sense of what's going on visually when that happens. And I was, I was struck, even though I knew about what, I, I was struck by how much of a like, wow moment this would have been reading it for the first time, mm. just how powerful. And it's almost like one of those, you always want to say or do or even write something like real badass, like just like the perfect mm, one-liner, zinger, last words, and never really works out that way. And I feel like King pulled this moment off beautifully. Mm. There, there's one thing that I, I will say the thing that even though I've seen the adaptation, the thing that really shocked me about Fletcher's motivation is that he, despite being here for the past five years, at this point, he kind of says, I don't understand everything that's going on in this political climate. All I knew when I got here is that Nunez wasn't the person in charge when that happened to my sister. And that is what put me on his side. And I it, that gave me such like a uh, a, a kind of hold on. Me. Well, because he's not undercover for. I mean, he's undercover. He's not there to report on something. Right. It, it, it it's the tunnel vision part of it mm-hmm. that because it was very extreme to know. Okay, he's a journalist. He's been here for five years. He's been a revolutionary for sixteen months. 
And then now we find out that this started had to have been more than five years ago. You would presume he didn't come down here before that happened. And just realizing, imagine. Yeah, this isn't an assignment. (laughs) Yeah, like the tunnel vision of acknowledging that at this point, he doesn't know whether Nunez is right or wrong for leadership of this country. He does not care. And I think that's that true amount of revenge is so interesting to what we find out Fletcher's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. It really unlocks the last part of him for me. Yeah, so mm. powerful. I think that's the moment after which he's never going to be the same. A hundred percent. Yeah. Even, even though he's killed people before that, mm. before that point, that's the point at which I think that, yeah, it's, it's quite literally a different man is going to be leaving that room. Yeah. He would have shot her more than twice because he dry fires the last shot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only reason he doesn't because he runs out of bullets, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, and then he turns his attention toward Heinz, and his death scene is just wicked cool. He goes over to him, and he's pointing the gun at him. And it's like Heinz is so freaked out that he doesn't remember or didn't realize that it was empty, so it's effective. And he's like, hey, man, take the dildo. Put Put it in your mouth and suck on it like a lollipop. And he uses his knowledge of how when your back is against the wall you desperately want to believe like you know mr maybe they will so he Mm. knows that heinz is going to fall into that and he reluctantly complies he puts it in his mouth and fletcher wait do it for your research that that moment being the thing that like he's like All right, that's what sold me. <laughs> he appeals to that scientific heart. <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. It's all in the name of posterity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he puts it in his mouth. Fletcher flips the switch, like turns the dial all the way up. His mouth clamps down over it. And he had described just this this like snot bubble as Heinz was like upset mm, and bleeding yeah. that kept kind of expanding but it wouldn't pop and it was sort of this moment of fascination like i've never seen that happen before it's not popping and but it's it's awful in this moment because the snot bubble finally pops and the rest of that sentence (laughs) is is so casual it's and so does his eye and because we just compared that basically to a snot bubble yes yeah it's like Stephen King, you son of a bitch. You imagine it <laughs> popping like a snot bubble. Yeah. And yeah. it's so effective, <laughs> and I love it. His cheeks go from white to pale gray to dark purple. Smoke pours out of his nose. Then his other eye pops out onto his cheek. His raw sockets are staring at Fletcher <laughs> with surprise. Like, how? And his cheek tears open or melts. Fletcher's unsure which. Smoke starts coming out of the hole in his face. His mouth is now on fire with his tongue burning like a rug. Again, please mm. stop describing horrible things in such a mundane, casual way because it makes it a thousand times worse. And the moment, I love this, the moment he shuts that switch off, Heinz's body just collapses onto the floor. And then, you guys, give us... Give us this amazing one-liner he delivers to the corpse. <laughs> no, I think you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to do one, George. So I don't remember. I didn't write oh. it down because I figured I would. I love. I know how much you love the one-liners. <laughs> nice save. No, he he says just like a you know just a badass. He leans over to this very very dead guy <laughs> and mm. says the exact words that Heinz said to him right after he delivered the shock, which was. How do you describe it now while the experience is still fresh? <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. Oh god, I love it. That's really cold. It's so cold. And I like that afterwards, after that moment, he's like, I'll probably vomit over this in my brain later. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll let this hit me after. after. And so Simon, as you were describing earlier, he's you know, he's out of bullets. This is where he makes his way to the door. Still kind of having that hopeless feeling like you and I did for him. Like, uh, you know, mm. he he got his revenge. And that's probably as good as it's going to get. The guards, like, how is he going to get out of this situation? He walks out. There's a dog that's sleeping. It gives him, like, <laughs> the most insincere, lazy kind of bark and then goes back to sleep. Yeah. yeah <laughs> good, sort of, good guard dog. This pl- platoon of soldiers I was right. expecting. It's yeah. just a dog that's asleep. Yeah. Wakes up, looks at him, and then goes back to sleep again. This is the line that I did write down of soundproofing is the great triumph of dictatorship. (laughs) I love that. 
And he he stoops down. He kisses the linoleum outside of the door in the hallway. What did you guys make of this? This was a very strange moment because he the reason he does it. I get it. Like he never thought he'd see another room the rest of his life. And this floor is a new floor and it is the first step towards freedom. Well, and that part makes sense. But how it's tied to his sister I wasn't. I didn't quite understand. Me neither. Okay, I, me neither. My, I assumed that the thing with his sister is that he gets to continue. I think that the fact that he's not done avenging his sister because he lived getting out of this room. I think it's a I'm out and I'm not forgetting why why I served worked so hard to survive. Okay, that makes sense. So I I was a little confused because it's like, oh, he's he's it's worded he's strange. like, oh, it's it's the same color. The linoleum is the last thing his sister had worn, or something like the last yeah. photo he had of mm-hmm. her. And I was like, mm-hmm. are you saying goodbye to your sister? Like, what? I didn't quite. <laughs> no, it, it was interesting. No, thank you. So he th- this okay. This is kind of where I wanted to ask you guys that question we kind of touched on earlier. He's now making his way up the stairs, knowing he'll probably die, and it. The last sentence in this paragraph is that he goes up the stairs. I was really surprised that it didn't end here because yeah! it, is such a, mm. it is such a king ending. And I would have accepted that and have been like, and we'll never know. Mm. King's note at the end, as I mentioned earlier, said that it's a Kafka-esque story, but optimistic. So I wanted to ask you guys about this. I, I don't know if this quite works from the perspective that it's written from, but when I read it i was toying with the idea that this last part was possibly a description of fletcher's dying fantasy or it was just another dude and i only was kind of leaning toward it being ambiguous because we're not with fletcher now in this description we we've switched perspectives we're with the newsstand guy so to switch character perspectives and only do it here for this part I feel like dance is a very delicate line between optimistic and hopeless, which I I appreciated because I I think you could say, no, definitively, like he saw him, this happened. But you could also, I think, argue that it is ambiguous and we can decide ourselves if he made it out. What do you guys do? Do you kind of one of you want to describe just what this last scene was and then we can talk about what you guys thought? Yeah, as you say, it's from, it's from the point of view of the um, the newsstand vendor, and he sees this this guy coming towards him, and he's convinced he's going to rob him. He just has that look in his yeah. eye. Oh, Christ. Oh, and he puts his hand <laughs> in the pocket, and oh, here comes the gun. <laughs> and he doesn't produce a gun. He gets a gets a, a, a wallet. It's a very specific brand of wallet, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's yeah. described, I think. It's like that, that hyper quite, description uh, from the newsstand guy because he's freaked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and has that sort of, um, you know, heightened... Yeah. sense of um, of the visual, I suppose. So he gets his $10 note, buys um, a packet of Marlboro Reds. Is it Marlboro mm-hmm. Reds? Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's the brand, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always used to go for um, Marlboro Gold myself. They're not <laughs> heavy <laughs> Anyway, buys, buys a cigarette, takes one out and tells the vendor he can keep the change. Mm-hmm. Takes uh, takes one one cigarette out, cigarette out, lights it, and then throws the, the rest of the... The, the pack in the trash can which is next to the next to the, the stand mm-hmm. i am embarrassed to to admit this but uh, it, it it's true as as people who know me will, will will testify um if i'd have seen that happen the second our man walks away i'd have been to <laughs> i don't think you're alone there <laughs> That's expensive. (laughs) Shit, I don't like. I just have friends that smoke. I'd grab it for them. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bad habit, but anyway, you know, it had never, never occurred to me that it could be a kind of fantasy in Fletcher's mind. But that is a completely legitimate take on it. I mean, I I just read it that it it had happened, but Mm -hmm. there's no reason that it can't be something that's just going on in his head. Okay, so we got we got two perspectives, Josh. Where do you land? I, I think that because of the change of narrator sends the strong signal that the intent is that it's real. Mm-hmm. But I do like the ambiguity of because it's also a very specific like dream slash goal that could belong to a hundred people. You know, <laughs> like this it really could be just anybody. But I think that the the true intent is that it is it's Fletcher being safe 
But definitely, I, I like that he is, because it's a month later, which either means he, like, that tells me it's been a month and this is him just getting back to the country. So he's yeah. been surviving for a month because it, he, he's described as very thin and sickly. And, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I love the idea that we don't get what this survival adventure was for the past month, but that we do find out, even though it wasn't an easy road, he did get home. And mm-hmm. there's a sense of peace in that. And I really like that to the ending. Mm-hmm. It's such a symbolic thing for him to do, isn't it? Yeah. To have this one cigarette and that's all he needs. And like you, I kind of read that as the sort of the first signal of safety yeah. for mm-hmm. him. Now I'm home. I know I'm safe. And like this is the one thing I promised myself I would I would do once I got home <sighs> and relax. I of, imagine I like thing. to imagine he and less than an hour ago, he got off a shipping boat on a mm. dock and has been walking through the streets <laughs> of New York to mm. a friend's place or like some place familiar where he can get to. And this is his first stop on the way. That's how mm. I like to see the ending. I, I think you guys are right because I, King's intent obviously does seem to be that because of his comment about mm. how he wanted to give it this optimistic sort of edge. I guess I'm just super metal. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we uh, rate the story? Uh, one yeah. to five blue chambray shirts. Uh, Sam, would you like to go first? Sure. Stephen King short stories, always amazing. You can't go wrong. This one, as I said earlier, wasn't even one that like that sort of that genre I'm not immediately drawn to, but all of the the literary themes just really caught my heart and I loved this. I thought it was amazing and I'm going to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts. Terrific. Uh, I'm fine. fine. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, this one, I love King short stories, but for this one, the characters really took it to a whole nother level. This story could be a really good story with flat one dimensional characters because it's yeah. still so what this the story of it's so good. But the fact that in this short of a story, every character gets at least a small detail that you can kind of extrapolate their piece of this puzzle in this bigger, this much, much bigger story. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, something about that. I really, really love it. Uh, I'm going five out of five blue chambray shirts. Simon. Wow. <laughs> no, no pressure. Okay. Hey, man, it's your uh, rating. It can be whatever you want it to be. I think I, I completely agree with you, Josh, in that the details that you you get for each one of these, the characters, strangely somehow just fleshes them out, even though all you've got this is this detail. And it reminds me of something Frank Darabont said about Stephen King. I think when he was... I think when he um, he was directing Shawshank, he said Stephen King has this real knack for character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very difficult thing to to achieve, but eventually I think it becomes second nature. It's an it's literally it's a knack. It's not something that's a trick. It's something that's a little detail, but it gives you a lot in a in a little. And I think the whole this particular story does that a lot. There's a there's a lot in 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 a little. It's very it's very dense. It's like it's like watching I know a really good. TV drama and you you think you've watched a, a feature film and it's been like 45 minutes of television. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. wow. How did they get that into that? <laughs> wow. That was, that, that's dense writing. That, that That's really good. So yeah, I, I kind of, I wanted more. I mean, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a sign of a good, a yeah. good piece of art, isn't it? It's like, oh, I didn't want that to end. I, 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 I wanted more. So I, I think overall I'm going to give it four out of five chamray shirts. Fantastic. Just because I wanted another, Maybe the same again. <laughs> so before we get out of here, Simon, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to work your schedule from across the ocean to <laughs> come here and be with us. We really appreciate it. We love you guys over at King Size. For our listeners who may have not listened to your show before, would you like to share a little bit about what you guys do? Well, uh, in no particular order, just more whim than anything else. Um, <laughs> we're making our way through a number of uh, novels and short stories. We also have uh, The Survivor Type, which uh, Matt has established, where we invite various King fans on to talk about which books they would bring to a desert island, um, which luxury items they would include, and heaven forfend which ones they would throw <laughs> on the fire. And if you... Like me, and at least one other member of Derry Public Radio <laughs> want to refuse to throw one on the fire, then I invite you to tell Matt that that's exactly what you would do. 
You're really going to pile it on for Matt, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I love how this has become about really sticking it to Matt. (laughs) You know, I have to say, too, for our listeners, no, like, everybody's wonderful, but you guys are my my favorite other Stephen King podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So give Thank them a ladies and gentlemen, yeah. $20 well spent. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, please uh, search Kingsides wherever you listen to podcasts and check them out. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode. For CM Alexander and Simon Bolkin, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, we're lucky to be alive. All of us. All of the time. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to In the Death Room. We hope you enjoyed it. And thank you again to Simon from the King Size Podcast. If you aren't listening to Simon and Matt, you really need to because they are awesome dudes. You can find a link to their podcast in our show notes. And check out their episode we were on because we had a ton of fun with them. For our next episode, we are back with our Patreon selection series where we'll be covering Dr. Sleep, a pick by Lisa Daly and we'll be reading through chapter 5. If you don't know what I'm talking about, visit our Patreon page for tons of perks for each of our tiered rewards, one of which being that you get to pick our next book. That's at the $50 and up tier, and if you've been following us a while, you know that depending on the size of the book you pick, $50 gets you quite a few episodes, including a movie adaptation if there is one. We are so grateful for all of your support, and we're really excited to see which book you'd like us to cover next. As always, you can follow us on all the things. You know what they are. And rather than bore you with those details again, I'll just reiterate, check out our friends at King Size. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.